Hi, this is Pastor Tim Crick, and you are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, a part of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us online at www.htelc.com. We worship on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m., where you are never too late and there is always room for one more. We hope you can join us sometime, and we hope you find the sermon you're about to listen to helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 6, 1 through 21. Jesus went to the other side of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there's a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told the disciples, Gather up the fragrance left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When they realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. There's a whole lot here that we could talk about. Because you have two miracles, and one, uh, you know, one of the most so it's hard to narrow it down. But I just want to start real quick because we're in the year of Mark. And Mark has these stories in it. In fact, if we had kept going right where we were with Mark, we would come to these miracles. We'd get the feeding of the 5,000 or 4,000. I forget which one it is in Mark. And we would get a story of Jesus walking on water. But instead, the lectionary moves. And we move from readings from Mark and we get readings from John. And so just real quick, might that happen? Remember, Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. It is only 16 chapters. 
And in our lectionary, we have uh, only three of the Gospels get their own year, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't get a year to itself. And so John, we get a lot of readings intermixed in those other years, particularly during the year of Mark, because Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. And so frequently we get a whole section or readings from John during this year. And in fact, we're about to enter into one in which we'll get about four or five weeks from the Gospel of John in a row in which we get a lot of Jesus being the bread of life and a lot of Jesus feeding and a lot of Jesus, uh, I am very distinct about who Jesus is to the disciples, who Jesus is to the world. And so we make that jump here in the year of Mark with this feeding of the 5,000 and with Jesus walking on water. So now what does this miracle mean for us? We've talked about this before. I have a hard time looking at miracles of Jesus and then having an expectation in a way in which we want to see these things happen today and then we get angry when we don't see them occur. Or we think if we just pray the right way, then we'll get what we want, right? We talk about, is God a vending machine? Remember those old vending machines you used to put in your dollar bill, then you'd press, press B8, and that little silver coil would turn and something would fall out? And do we treat God that way? God is a vending machine in which we can get what we want, or is God something bigger than that? And it's something bigger. I like how Molly's answering right there. Thank you. God is bigger than that. So what does this miracle story mean for us? And I think there could be a couple different ways in which we look at it. Anybody struggle with miracles in general in the Bible? It's okay if you do. I do. Did it exactly happen this way? Was it you know, this bottomless uh, basket where you take a fish out and you don't even notice, you feel like, why isn't this, you know, anybody fold laundry and you feel like you're folding laundry forever out of this basket and it never gets empty? You know what I mean? Is that what's happening where, as opposed to taking a clothes out of the basket and folding them and never gets empty, is it this basket of fish or a basket of loaves where you take one out and you feel like it should be empty, but it's not? Is that the way it happened? Is it the writers that are um, maybe taking some liberty of what's going on to emphasize a point about Jesus? It's okay if you doubt if those miracles occurred the way they did. I don't know. I like to think so, but I'm okay if they're not. And one interpretation that has really helped me that maybe it doesn't occur that way because if it did, then it's easy to think about how do we get what we want out of God? What is God doing for me? Does that make sense? What is God doing for me? How is God providing for me? And I think a better way to look at our relationship with God is not as what is God doing for me, but change that one word for to a two-letter word too. What is God doing to me? What is God doing to me? And if we look at, and I've heard this, we've got taught in the seminary that here's one option, 
The miracle isn't so much that the basket never emptied. But if we look at the miracle, that people go out there. And anybody remember the old story, sown soup? Right? What's the miracle? Because in stone soup, a miracle occurs, right? These people go into a village. They're asking for something to eat. And everybody says, no, I don't have anything to share. So what do they do? They go out in the middle, and they get this big pot, and they take the stone out of their pocket. They say it's a miracle, and they put it in, right? And what are you doing out there? Oh, we're making stone soup. It's going to be great. But you know what we could really use? We need some carrots. Ooh, I have some carrots. And somebody goes out and gets carrots and brings it back in, right? And somebody else... Ooh, what's going on out there? Well, we're making stone soup. Ooh, that sounds interesting. You know what? Need some potatoes. I have some potatoes. And they go out and get some potatoes, right? And they add it. And then somebody else comes out. Ooh, we need a little salt. Oh, we need a little, right? And by the end, what's the miracle that has occurred? Everybody has a bowl of soup. Everybody that initially said, I don't have enough actually realizes they do. And when they do realize that, everybody eats. There's a way to look at this miracle in which it is similar. It isn't that it was a never-ending basket. Rather, the miracle is there was a little boy who was dared enough to share what he had. And other people saw that. And what were they moved to do? Share what they had as well. They may not have had a lot. They may not have had what would have been considered enough. But they shared. And what happens when everybody shares? We go from, I don't have enough, to leftovers. Does that make sense? And so we look at it, we change it, a relationship with God, a relationship with faith, or even, dare we say, a relationship with church, not what is in it for me, what is God doing for me. Rather, what is God doing to me? Do you see the difference? Which is a much more popular way of looking at things. What is God doing for me or what is God doing to me? For me. Because I get something out of it, don't I? I get something out of it. If our faith is about what is God doing to me, I might need to change. I might need to look at things differently. How many people like to change? (laughs) We've talked about this before, haven't we? There's a move within churches to move away from using the word membership. Are we a health club? We're not, aren't we? When we use the word membership, it's I have a fee or dues or something that I pay, and I'm expecting something in return. Does that make sense? That's what membership means. How many people are members of Costco? Members of the Y, members of, where the whole idea is I pay this fee and I get something in return. That is not the essence of the church. That is not the essence of our faith. 
that is not what God desires for us. And so there's a movement to say, don't use the word member. You are mission partners. You're joining a movement. There's an expectation that when you come, you will participate in something bigger that is going on. It's not what you get out of it, per se. It's what you bring to it and what it does to you through that participation. You know, it's interesting. After Jesus uh, feeds all these people, what do they want to do with him or to him? They want to make him... They want to make him king. He gave us what I want. He did what we needed. He made our bellies full. Imagine if he made our bellies full, if we made him king, what else he could do for us? That doesn't happen in the world today, does it? People making promises about what I can do for you. Is our life of faith designed that way? When we follow Christ, we forfeit the question, I talked about this last summer, we forfeit the question of, that's my right. Or that's what's in it for me. And instead we change it to, what is right for my neighbor? Or what is in it for them? Do you see the difference? Are we navel gazers? <laughs> Worried about how are we going to survive? Or are we looking outward? This is what we're called to. This is what we do. And everything else follows from that. Too often churches are navel games. We live in a world of scarcity. There's never enough. How are we going to make it? Well, we better look and do this so we can survive. And yet God calls us to something bigger. God calls us, I believe, to something better. To motivate people to change. And when you're afraid of something, it really is geared more inward, isn't it? And yet we just said, our life and faith is not about being geared inward, it's being moved outward. And to be moved outward, we have to overcome our fears. It means we do not let our fears dictate our actions. We do not let our fears determine our course. But we step out despite our fears, acknowledging them and putting them in the proper place that they belong that at our core, what God has said is enough. You are enough. I stress over and over that the beginning of the Bible begins with God saw all that God had made and called it. Thank you for stressing very good. Very good. May we live from a place of very 
goodness which overcomes a, a life of fear and moves us to a life of leftovers. Amen. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.